Section 9 of The Art or Craft of Rhetoric. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Amelia Chesley. The Art or Craft of Rhetoric by Leonard Cox. Of the third kind of orations called judicial. Orations judicial be that long to controversies in the law and pleas, which kind of oration in old time longed only to judges and men of law, but now for the more part is neglect of them, though there be nothing more necessary to quicken them in crafty and wise handling of their matters. In these orations, the first is to find out the state of the cause, which is a short preposition, containing the whole effect of all the controversies. As in the oration of Tully made for Milo, of the which I made mention in the beginning of my book, the state of the cause is this. Milo slew Claudius lawfully, which thing his adversaries denied. And if Tully can prove it, the plea is won. Here must be borne away that there be three manner of states in such orations. The first is called conjectural, the second legitim, the third judicial, and every of these hath his own proper places to fet out arguments of them, wherefore they shall be spoken of severally. And first we will treat of state conjectural, which is used when we be certain that the deed is done, but we be ignorant who did it. And yet by certain conjectures we have one suspect, that of very likelihood it should be he that hath committed the crime. And therefore this state is called conjectural, because we have no manifest proof, but all only great likelihoods, or as the rhetoricians call them, conjectures. Example there was a great contention in the Greeks' army afore Troy between Ulysses and Ajax, after the death of Achilles, which of them should have his armor as next to the said Achilles in valiantness, in which controversy, when the Greeks had judged the said armor unto Ulysses, Ajax, for very great disdain, fell out of his mind, and shortly after, in a wood nigh to the host, after he had known, when he came again to himself, what foolish pranks he had played in the time of his frenzy, for sorrow and shame, he slew himself. Soon upon this deed came Ulysses by, which, seeing Ajax thrust through with a sword, came to him, and as he was about to put out the sword, the friends of Ajax chanced to come the same way, which, seeing their friend dead and his old enemy pulling out a sword of his body, they accused him of murder. In very deed, here was no proof, for of truth Ulysses was not guilty in the cause. Nevertheless, the envy that was between Ajax and him made the matter to be not a little suspect, especially for that he was found there with the said Ajax alone, wherefore the state of the plea was conjectural, whether Ulysses slew Ajax or not. The Preface The preface is here even as it is in other orations, for we begin according to the nature of the cause that we have on hand, either in blaming our adversary, or else moving the hearers to have pity on our client, or else we begin at our own person, or at the praise of the judge, etc. The narration. Their narration or tale is the showing of the deed in manner of an history, wherein the accuser must craftily intermingle many suspicions which shall seem to make his matter provable as Tully, in his oration for Milo, 
where in his narration he intended by certain conjectures to show that claudius lay in wait for milo he in his said narration handleth that place thus in the mean season when claudius had knowledge that milo had a lawful and necessary journey to the city of lavine the thirteenth day afore the calendus of march to point who should be head priest there which thing longed to milo because he was dictator of that town claudius suddenly the day afore departed out of rome to set upon milo in a lordship of his own as after was well perceived and such haste he made to be going that whereas the people were gathered the same day for matters wherein also he had great ado himself and very necessary it had been for him to have been there yet this notwithstanding all other things apart he went his way which you may be sure he would never have done save only that he had fully determined to prevent a time and place convenient for his malicious intent afore milo's coming in this piece of tully's narration are intermingled first that claudius knew of milo's going which maketh the matter suspect that claudius went afore to meet with him for this was well known afore that claudius bare milo great grudge and malice next is showed the place where as claudius met milo which also giveth a great suspicion for it was nigh claudius's place where he might soon take succour and the t'other was in least assurance thirdly that he departed out of the city what time it had been most expedient yea and also greatly requisite for him to have been at home and that again maketh the matter suspect for surely he would not as tully himself saith in no wise have been absent at such a busy time unless it had been for some great purpose and what other should it seem than to slay milo as surely evident it was that they buckled together and this was well known that milo had a necessary cause to go forth of rome at that time contrarily in claudius could be perceived none other occasion to depart than out of the city but of likelihood to lie in wait for milo the proposition out of the narration must be gathered a brief sentence wherein shall stand the whole pith of the cause for rhetoricians put incontinent after the narration division which is a part of contention and doth briefly show wherein the controversy doth stand or what things shall be spoken of in the oration this division is divided into sejunction and distribution sejunction is when we show wherein our adversaries and we agree and what it is whereupon we strive as they that pleaded claudius's cause against milo might on this manner have used sejunction that milo slew claudius our adversaries cannot deny but whether he might so do lawfully or not is our controversy distribution is the proposition wherein we declare of what things we will speak of which if we propose how many they be it is called enumeration but if we do not express the number it is called exposition example of both is had in the oration that tully made to the people that pompeius might be made chief captain of the wars against mithridates and tigranes where after the preface and narration he maketh his proposition by exposition thus first i think it expedient to speak of the nature and kind of this war and after that of the greatness thereof and then 
to show how an head or chief captain of any army should be chosen which last member of his exposition he again distributeth into four parts thus as followeth truly this is mine opinion that he which shall be a governor of an host ought to have these four properties in him the first is that he have perfect knowledge of all such things as longeth to war the second is that he be a man of his hands the third that he be a man of such authority that his dignity may cause his soldiers to have him in reverence and awe the fourth is that he be fortunate and lucky in all things that he goeth about tully in the oration for milo proposeth all only showing wherein the controversy of the plea did stand on this manner as followeth is there anything else that must be tried and judged in this cause save this whether of them both began the fray and intended to murder the t'other no surely so that if it can be found in that milo went about to destroy claudius then he be punished therefore accordingly but if it can be proved that claudius was the beginner and laid wait for to slay milo and so was the searcher of his own death and that what milo did it was but to defend himself from the treason of his enemy and the safeguard of his life that then he may be delivered and quit of confirmation the confirmation of the accuser is fetched out of these places will and power for these two things will cause the person that is accused to be greatly suspect that he had will to do the thing that he is accused of and that he might well enough bring it to pass to prove that he had will thereto you must go to two places the one is the quality of the person and the other is the cause that moved him to the deed the quality of the person is thus handled for to look what is his name or surname and if it be naughty to say that he had it not for nothing but that nature had such prim power in men to make them give names according to the manners of every person then next to behold his country so tully in his oration made for lucius flaccus to improve the witness that was brought against him by greeks layeth unto them the lightness of their country this saith tully do i say of the whole nation of greeks i grant to them that they have good learning and the knowledge of many sciences nor i deny not but that they have a pleasant and marvellous sweet speech they are also people of high and excellent quick wit and thereto they be very fecundious these and such other qualities wherein they boost themselves greatly i will not repine against it that they bear the maestry therein but as concerning equity and good conscience requisite in bearing of record or giving of any witness and also as touching faithfulness of word and promise truly this nation never observed this property neither they knew not what is the strength authority and weight thereof so to englishmen is attributed sumptuousness in meats and drinks to the frenchmen pride and delight in new fantasies to flemings and all men's great drinking and yet inventive wits to britons gascons and polons larceny to spaniards agility to italians high wit and much subtlety to scots boldness to irishmen hastiness to boems valiantness and tenacity of opinions etc after that to look on his kindred 
as if his father or mother or other kin were of ill disposition for as the tree is such fruit it beareth on this wise doth phyllis entwit demophon that his father theseus uncourteously and traitorously left his love ariadna alone in the desert isle of naxus and contrary to his promise steal from her by night adding heridem patria perfidi fraudis agis that is to say untrue and false forsworn man thou playest kindly thy father's hair in deceitable beguiling of thy true lover after that we must look upon the sex whether it be a man or woman that we accuse to see if any argument can be deduct out of it to our purpose as in men is noted audacity women be commonly timorous then next the age of the person as in terence simo speaketh of his son pamphilus saith unto his man called socia how couldst thou know his conditions or nature afore while his age and fear and his maister did let it to be known hippermestra in ovid's epistles joineth these two places of sex and age together thus i am a woman and a young maiden mild and gentle both by nature and years my soft hands are not apt to fierce battles after these follow strength of body or agility and quickness of wit out of which may be brought many reasons to affirm our purpose so tully in his oration for milo willing to prove that claudius was the beginner of the fray showeth that milo which was never wont but to have men about him by chance at that time had in his company certain musicians and maidens that waited on his wife whom he had sitting with him in his wagon contrarily claudius that was never wont afore but to ride in a wagon and to have his wife with him at that time rode forth on horseback and whereas afore he was always accustomed to have knaves and queens in his company he had then none but tall men with him and as who should say men piked out for the nuns to this is added form as to say if we can have any argument to our purpose out of the person's face or countenance and so doth tully argue in his oration against piso saying on this wise seest thou not now thou beast dost thou not now perceive what is men's complaint on thy visage there is none that complaineth that i wot not what surian and of their flock which be but newly crept up to honour out of the dunghill is now made consul of the city for this servile colour hath not deceived us nor hairy cheek-balls nor rotten and filthy teeth thine eyes thy brows forehead and whole countenance which in a manner doth manifest men's conditions and nature it hath deceived us this done we must consider how he hath been brought up that we accuse among whom he hath lived and whereby how he governeth his household and assay if we can pick out of these aught for our purpose also of what state he is of free or bond rich or poor bearing office or not a man of good name or otherwise wherein he delighteth most which places do express man's living and by his living his will and mind as i would declare more fully save that in introductions men must labour to be short 
and again they are such that he that hath any perceiving may soon know what shall make for his purpose and how to set it forth and therefore this shall suffice as touching the quality of the person if we bear away this for a general rule that what maketh for the accuser evermore the contrary is sure state for the defender if he can prove it or make it of the more likelihood as tully in defending milo layeth to claudius's friends charges that he had none about him but chosen men and for to clear milo he sheweth the contrary that he had with him singing lads and women servants that waited on his wife which maketh it of more likelihood that claudius went about to slay milo than milo him the cause that moveth to the mischief lieth in two things in natural impulsion and ratiocination natural impulsion is anger hatred covetous love or such other affections so simo in therence when he had said that davus whom he had pointed to wait upon his son pamphilus would do all that might lie in him both with hand and foot rather than to displease him than to please pamphilus mind and socia demanded why he would do so simo made answer by ratiocination saying dost thou ask that marry his ungracious and unhappy mind is the cause thereof onon in ovid's epistles joineth together quality and natural impulsion saying a uyene et cupido credatur redita virgo which is in english think you that she that was carried away of a young man and hot in love was restored again a maid tully in the oration for milo among the other arguments bringeth in one against claudius by natural impulsion of hatred showing that claudius had cause to hate milo first for he was one of them that laboured for the same tully's revocation from exile which tully claudius maliciously hated again that milo oppressed many of his furious purposes and finally because the said milo accused him and cast him afore the senate and people of rome ratiocination is that cometh of hope of any commodity or to issue any discommodity as tully argueth in his oration for milo against claudius by ratiocination to prove that it was he that laid wait for milo on this manner it is sufficient to prove that this cruel and wicked beast had a great cause to slay milo if he would bring his matters that he went about to pass and great hope if he were once gone not to be letted in his pretensed malice after ratiocination followeth comprobation to show that no man else had any cause to go thereabout save he whom we accuse nor no profit could come to no man thereof save to him these are the ways whereby an orator shall prove that the person accused had will to the thing that is laid to his charge to prove that he might do it he must go to the circumstance of the cause as that he had leisure enough thereto and place convenient and strength withal also you shall prove it by signs which are of marvellous efficacy on this behalf wherefore here must be noted that signs by either words or deeds that either did go before or else follow the deed as tully in his oration now often alleged argueth against claudius by signs going afore the deed as that claudius said three days afore milo was slain 
that he should not live three days to an end and that he went out of the city a little afore milo rode forth with a great company of strong and mischievous knaves signs following are as if after the deed was done he fled or else when it was laid to his charge he blushed or waxed pale or stuttered and could not well speak the contrary places as i said afore belong to the defender save that in signs he must use two things absolution and invention absolution is whereby the defender showeth that it is lawful for him to do that what the adversary bringeth in for a sign of his malice example a man is found covering of a dead body and thereupon accused of murder he may answer that it is lawful to do so for the preservation of his body from ravens and other that would devour him till time he had warned people to fetch and bury him invention is whereby we show that the sign which is brought against us maketh for us as i would not have tarried to cover him if i had done the deed myself but have fled and shrunk aside into some other way for fear of taking of the conclusion the conclusion is as i have said afore in brief repeating of the effect of our reasons and in moving the judges to our purpose the accuser to punish the person accused the defender to move him to pity of the state juridical and the handling thereof as state conjectural cometh out of this question who did the deed so when there is no doubt but that the deed is done and who did it many times controversy is had whether it hath been done lawfully or not and this state is negotial or juridical which containeth the right or wrong of the deed as in the oration of tully for milo the state is juridical for open it was that claudius was slain and that milo slew him but whether he killed him lawfully or not is the controversy and state of the cause as i have afore declared the preamble and narration as afore the confirmation hath certain places appropriate thereto but here must be marked that state negotial is double absolute and assumptive state negotial absolute is when the thing that is in controversy is absolutely defended to be lawfully done as in the oration of tully for milo the deed is stiffly affirmed to be lawfully done in slaying claudius saying that milo did it in his own defence for the law permitted to repel violence violently the places of confirmation in state absolute are these nature law custom equity or reason judgment necessity bargain or covenant of the which places tully in his oration for milo bringeth in the more part together in a cluster on this manner if reason hath prescribed this to learned and wise men and necessity hath driven it into barbers and rude folk and custom keepeth it among all nations and nature hath planted it in brute beasts that every creature should defend himself and save his life and his body from all violence by any manner of succour what means or way soever it were you cannot judge this deed evil done except you will judge that when men meet with thieves or murderers they must either be slain by the weapons of such unthrifty and malicious persons either else perish by your sentence given in judgment upon them 
State assumptive is when the defense is feeble of itself, but yet it may be holpen by some other thing added to it. And the places longing to this state are granting of the fault, removing of the fault, or as we say in our tongue, laying it from us to another, and translating of the fault. Granting of the fault is when the person accused denieth not the deed, but yet he desireth to be forgiven, and it has two places more annexed to it, purgation and deprecation. Purgation is when he saith he did it not maliciously, but by ignorance or mishap, which place Cato useth erroneously in Salust thus. My mind is that ye have pity with you, for they that have done amiss be but very young men, and desire of honour drove them to it. Deprecation is when we have none excuse, but we call upon the justice's mercy. The handling whereof Tully writeth in his book of invention thus. He that laboureth to be forgiven of his fault must rehearse, if he can, some benefits of his done aforetime, and show that they be far greater in their nature than is the crime that he hath committed, so that, howbeit he hath done greatly amiss, yet the goods of his four merits are far bigger, and so may well oppress this one fault. Next after that it behoveth him to have refuge to the merits of his elders, if there be any, and to open them. That done, he must return to the place of purgation, and show that he did not the deed for any hate or malice, but either by foolishness or else by the entitlement of some other, or for some provable cause and then promise faithfully that this fault shall teach him to beware from thenceforth, and also that their benefits that forgive him shall bind him assuredly never to do so more, but perpetually to abhor any such offence, and with that to show some great hope, once to make them a great recompense and pleasure therefore again. After this let him, if he can, declare some kindred between them and him, or friendship of his elders, and amplify the greatness of his service and good heart toward them, if it shall please them to forgive this fault, and add the nobility of them that would fain have him delivered. And then he shall soberly declare his own virtues, and such things as be in him pertaining to honesty and praise, that he may by these means seem rather worthy to be advanced in honor for his good qualities, than to be punished for his fall this done let him rehearse some other that have been forgiven greater faults than this is it shall also greatly avail if he can show that he hath in time afore been in authority and bear a rule over other in the which he was never but gentle and glad to forgive them that had offended underneath him and then let him extenuate his own fault and show that there followed not so great damage thereof and that but little profit or honesty will follow of his punishment. And finally then by commonplaces to move the judge to mercy and pity upon him. The adversary must, as I have showed afore, use for his purpose contrary places. Some rhetoricians put no more places of deprecation than only this that is here left rehearsed of Tully, that is, to do our best to move the justice to mercy and pity remotion of the fault is when we put it from us and lay it to another example 
the venetians have commanded certain to go in ambassade to england and thereupon appointed them what they shall have to bear their charges which money assigned they cannot get of the treasurer at the day appointed they go not whereupon they are accused to the senate here they must lay the fault from them to the treasurer which dispatched them not according as it was ordered that he should translation of the fault is when he that confesseth his fault saith that he did it moved by the indignation of the malicious deed of another example king agamemnon which was chief captain of the greeks at the siege of troy when he came home was slain of aegistus by the treason of clytemnestra his own wife which murder his son orestes seeing when he came to man's state revenged his father's death on his mother and slew her whereupon he was accused here orestes cannot deny but he slew his mother but he layeth for him that his mother's abominable injury constrained him thereto because she slew his father and this is the handling of confirmation in state assumptive the conclusions in these orations are like to the conclusions of other of state legitim and the handling thereof state legitim is when the controversy standeth in definition or contrary laws or doubtful writings or ratiocination or translation of definition definition as tully writeth is when in any writing is some word put the signification whereof requireth exposition example a law may be made that such as forsake a ship in time of tempest should lease their right that they have either in the ship or in any goods within the same vessel and that they shall have the ship and the goods that abide still in her it chanced two men to be in a little crayer of which vessel the one man was both owner and governor and the other possessor of the goods and as they were in the main sea they espied one that was swimming in the sea and as well as he could holding up his hands to them for succour whereupon they being moved with pity made towards him and took him up within a little after arose a great tempest upon them and put them in such jeopardy that the owner of the ship which was also governor leapt out of the ship into the ship-boat and with the rope that tied the boat to the ship he governed the ship as well as he could the merchant that was within the ship for great despair of the loss of his goods willing to slay himself thrust himself in with his own sword but as it chanced the wound was neither mortal nor very grievous but notwithstanding for that time he was unable to do any good in helping the ship against the impetuousness of the storm the third man which not long afore had suffered shipwreck got him to the stern and helped the vessel the best that lay in him at length the storm ceased and the ship came safe into the haven boat and all he that was hurt by help of chirurgians recovered anon now every of these three challenged the ship and goods as his own here every man layeth for him the law above rehearsed and all their controversy lieth in the expounding of three words abiding in the ship and forsaking the ship and what we shall in such case call the ship whether the boat as part of the ship or else the ship itself alone 
The handling hereof is, first, in a few words, and plain to declare the signification of the word to our purpose, and after such manner as may seem reasonable to the audience. Next, after such exposition to declare and prove the said exposition true, with as many arguments as we can. Thirdly, to join our deed with the exposition, and to show that we only did observe the very intent of the law. Then, to refel the exposition of our adversaries, and to show that their exposition is contrary to reason and equity, and that no wise man will so take the law as they expound it, and that the exposition is neither honest nor profitable, and to conster their exposition with ours, and to show that ours containeth the verity, and theirs is false. Ours honest, reasonable, and profitable, theirs clean contrary. And then search out like examples, either of greater matters or of less, or else of egal matters, and to manifest by them that our mind is the very truth. Contrary laws are where the one seemeth evidently to contrary the other, as if a law were that he whom his father hath forsaken for his son shall in no wise have any portion of his father's goods, and another law that whosoever in time of tempest abideth in the ship shall have the ship and goods. Then pose that one which was of his father so abject and denied for his child was in a ship of his father's in time of sore weather and when all other for fear of leasing themselves forsook the ship and got them into the boat he only abode and by chance was safe brought into the haven whereupon he challengeth the vessel for his whereas the party defendant will lay against him that he is abdicate or forsaken of his father and so cannot by the law have any part of his goods here must he say again for him that this law alleged doth all only private from their father's goods such as be abdicate and yet would challenge a part as his children but that he doth not so but requireth to have the ship not as a son to his father but as any other stranger might saying the law giveth him the ship that abideth in her in time of necessity and so the handling of this state either to deny one of the laws and show that it hath been afore annulled or else to expound it after the sense that is meet to our purpose doubtful writing is where either the mind of the author seemeth to be contrary to that that is written which some call writing and sentence or else it is when the words may be expounded diverse ways example of the first Men say it is a law in Calais that no stranger may go upon the town walls on pain of death. Now then pose that in time of war, the town being hard besieged, an alien dwelling in the town getteth him to the walls among the soldiers, and doth more good than any one man again. Now after the siege ended, he is accused of transgressing of the law, which in words is evidently against him but here the defendant must declare the writer's mind by circumstances what stranger he did forbid and what time and after what manner and in what intent he would not have any stranger to come on the walls and in what intent his mind might be understanden to suffer an alien to go upon the walls and here must the effect of the stranger's will be declared that he went up to defend the town to put back their enemies 
and thereto he must say that the maker was not so undiscreet and unreasonable that he would have no manner of exception which should be to the wealth profit or preservation of the town for he that will not have the law to be understanden according to equity good manner and nature intendeth to prove the maker thereof either an unjust man or foolish or envious the accuser contrarily shall praise the maker of the law for his great wisdom for his plain writing without any manner of ambiguity that no stranger should presume to go upon the walls and rehearse the law word for word and then show some reasonable cause that moved the maker of the law that he would utterly that no stranger should ascend the walls etc example of the second a man in his testament giveth to two young daughters that he hath two hundred sheep to be delivered at the day of their marriage on this manner i will that mine executors shall give to my daughters at the time of their marriage every of them an hundred sheep such as they will at the time of marriage they demand their cattle which the executors deliver not of such sort as the maidens would whereupon the controversy ariseth for the executors say they are bound to deliver to every of them an hundred sheep such as they that be the executors will now here standeth the doubt to whom we shall refer this word they to the daughters or to the executors the maidens say nay thereto but that it was their father's mind that they should have every of them an hundred sheep such as they that be the daughters will the handling of doubtful writing is to show if it be possible that it is not written doubtfully by cause it is the common manner to take it after as we say and that it may soon be known by such words as partly go before that clause and partly follow and that there be few words but if they be considered so alone they may anon be taken doubtfully and first we shall show if we can that it is not doubtfully written for there is no reasonable man but he will take it as we say then shall we declare by that that goeth afore and followeth that it is clearly even as we say and that if we consider the words of themselves they will seem to be of ambiguity but seeing they may by the rest of the writing be evident enough they ought not to be taken as doubtful and then show that if it had been his mind that made the writing to have it taken as the adversary saith he needed not to have written any such words as in the example now put the maidens may say that if it had been their father's mind that the executors should have delivered such sheep as it had pleased them to deliver he needed not to have added these words such as they will for if they had not been put it would not have been doubt but that the executors delivering every of them an hundred sheep whatsoever they were had fulfilled the will and could have been no further compelled wherefore if his mind was as they say it was a great folly to put in those words which made a plain matter to be unplain and then finally show it is more honest and convenient to expound it as we say than as our adversaries do ratiocination is when the matter is in controversy whereupon no law is decreed but yet the judgment thereof may be found out by laws made upon matters some deal resembling thereunto as in rome was this law made 
that if any person were distraught, his possessions and goods should come to the hands of his next kin. And another law, what any householder doth ordain and make as concerning his household and other goods, it is approbate and confirmed by the law. And another law, if any householder die into state, his money and other goods shall remain to his next kin. It chanced one to kill his own mother, whereupon he was taken and condemned to death. But while he lay in prison, certain of his familiar friends came thither to him and brought with them a clerk to write his testament, which he there made and made such executors as it pleased him. After his death, his kinsmen challenge his goods, his executors say them nay, whereupon ariseth controversy afore the justice. There is no law made upon this case, whether he that hath killed his mother may make any testament or not, but it may be reasoned on both parties by the laws above rehearsed. The kinsmen shall allege the law made for them that be out of their minds, presupposing him not to be in much other case, or else he would not have done the deed. The contrary part shall allege the other law, and show that it was none alienation of mind, but some other cause that moved him to it, and that he hath had his punishment therefore, which he should not have suffered of convenient if he had been beside himself. Translation is which the lawyers call exception, as if a person accused plead that it is not lawful for the t'other to accuse him, or that the judge can be no judge in that cause, etc. End of section 9